Hey, I'm Austin and welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. This week kicks off our brand new teaching series, Big Deal. Here at Valley Point, there are some things that are a big deal to us. We describe them as our faith catalysts. These are the things that drive us as a faith community. These are the things that are at the core of how we function. It's what we celebrate. Join Valley Point Church throughout the month of November as we unpack each of these four faith catalysts. Kingdom come, thy will be done, found in Matthew chapter 6, was a prayer he gave that flowed out of serving others where he was saying, allow your actions... Allow your activities to be a catalyst for change, not only in your own life, but in the lives of other people around you. We begin a brand new series today that is going to carry us through the month of November, and I'm so thankful that you're here, and I've been looking forward to walking through this together, and the name of this series is called Big Deal. There it is on the stage for you, and it's not big deal as in big deal. Just dripping with sarcasm. It's big deal. Like there are some things that matter to God. There are some things that are important to him. There are some things that are valuable to him where we would say this is a big deal. So before we jump into this, I want to ask you just to pray with me that God would give us great understanding to know that what's a big deal to him should also be a big deal to us. Okay? Will you pray with me? Father, we step into your presence right now, and we're just very thankful for this day where we get the chance to kind of turn our attention to things that are important to you, things that we would say are a big deal to you. And God, I'm just convinced that if it's a big deal to you, it should be a big deal to us as well. And these are things we should focus on, and these are things that we should give our attention to. And so, God, as we move through this, help our hearts to be open and our eyes to be alert to what you want to say to us. And may we walk out of here just really energized to implement these different things in our lives. So, God, we pray all of this and ask that you work and that you teach us, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here at Valley Point, we would say that there are a few things that are a big deal to us. We would actually call them our faith catalysts. It's what drives us. It's what we celebrate. I think it's really important to think through these things because the church is people. The church is us. And I am convinced that if we the people, we the church would understand these things and even move beyond just understanding, if we would actually implement these different faith catalysts in our lives, that our impact would be unlimited. Now think about that statement for a moment. Like our impact for God can be unlimited. And do you know what God wants for you as an individual? He wants for you to have unlimited impact. You know what God wants for us as a church, as a faith community? 
He wants us to have unlimited impact, and that can happen. And so while we say that these are valley points, faith catalysts, they're really our faith catalysts. And I want to encourage you to personalize this, because I think if you do that, if you kind of throw yourself into the scenario here and really make this unique to you and personalize this to your life, I think these catalysts will just come to life inside of you. Now, maybe you're here and you're not that into the church and you don't believe in Jesus and God and the Bible and you're just not there yet. Welcome. I'm glad that you're at Valley Point Church. And I want to say to you that I think you're going to discover as we walk through this that you can use these faith catalysts in your life because they're good things. So as we approach the end of another year, and the year is coming to an end. As a matter of fact, there's only 25 more days until we celebrate Thanksgiving, which means there are only 52 more shopping days until you have to have everything ready for Christmas. So the end of the year is coming. And I think it's really appropriate for us as we approach the end of the year to look at these faith catalysts through the lens of Scripture so that we can say this. Let's keep doing these things. I mean, let's consider the activity of Jesus and what he was involved in, and then let's copy that. Let's emulate that in our lives. Let's implement that because these things matter. They truly are a big deal. And so here we would say that we have three faith catalysts at Valley Point, and that's what we're going to walk through throughout this month. But let me just define the word catalyst. It is a person or a thing that causes a change. And so what we want to consider throughout this month is that there are some faith elements that we should embrace, these elements, these catalysts that are a big deal to God that can really lead to some great change in our lives, and not just our lives, but the lives of the people around us. So these are our faith catalysts. We would also describe them as our DNA. Right? And I want to be the first to admit that we are not perfect at these things as a church. We don't always get it right. And I'm going to personalize that statement to me and say, I know I don't always get these things right. And you would probably admit the same thing. But yet we're going to call them our catalyst. We describe them as our DNA because this is what drives us and this is what we seek to celebrate. So here's what we're going to do today. I'm going to reverse things a bit, and I want to warn some of you who like structure and order that it might appear that I'm all over the place today, all right? So just relax, because I'm not going to start with a big idea and then unpack the paragraph of Scripture and give takeaways. We're going to start with Scripture, and I'm going to share three different stories with you that are simply amazing, and then after that, I'm going to share the first faith catalyst, so I'm going to hold off on sharing that with you, and then I'll share the big idea, and then we'll get into our takeaways. So everybody good with that? Comfortable? Okay, I want to walk through three very interesting stories in Scripture that all illustrate and share one point, point. and so as I read through these, I want you to begin thinking, what's the common thread? What's the idea that kind of moves through all of these that make sense and describes the activity of Jesus. So our first story is found in Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. 
It says large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. Suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. And then Jesus said to him, don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. So this is the story of Jesus interacting with someone who had leprosy. And sometimes you read through these stories and you're like, this is a guy who needed some help and he had a disease and he comes to Jesus and asks for some healing. And of course, Jesus does that and then we move on to the next set of verses. I think when we do that, you can quickly miss what is really happening inside of this paragraph. So I want to take a few moments and just think about what is truly happening here and the uniqueness of the activity of Jesus. So we've got a guy in this story who has leprosy. And in this culture, leprosy was basically a death sentence. If you had that disease, it was over for you. And there was no way to recover. There was really no way to get help for that. You would basically just die a very lonely and disgraceful kind of death. Leprosy was a very infectious skin disease, very contagious. And so here's what would happen if you got leprosy in this culture. Your fingers and your toes would begin to lose feeling. And eventually you would become disfigured and even gross. And eventually your appendages would start falling off of you. It's a very difficult thing to walk through, a very difficult thing to see, very grotesque. And again, it was a very contagious disease, so if you got leprosy, immediately you would be taken away from everything and thrown outside of the city, and there you would live with other lepers in a leprosy colony, and no one could have contact with you because nobody wanted to get that disease. And so you would die in isolation with other people who were suffering from this terrible thing. Now, think about the ramifications of that for a moment. All right, you get leprosy. You now have to say goodbye to your husband or your wife forever. Now, you cannot be with them. That was the rules of this time. They had to get you out. They did not want you infecting other people. And so you would forever have to say goodbye to a husband or a wife or to your children. You would have to leave your home and your work And everything that you knew and everything that you ever cared about, it was just over because you have this death sentence of leprosy. It's a terrible thing. And just think about the ramifications of that. If you had to say goodbye to everything that you know, and now you're just outside the city living with other people who are in misery and appendages are falling off and it's grotesque and there is no way to recover from this. If that weren't bad enough... Once you were thrown outside of the city, you were given a bell. And you would wear that around your neck. And the reason you would do that is because as you moved about, 
you would want to tell everybody that might come in contact with you, guess what I have? Yeah, I've got leprosy, and you don't want to be around me, and this is very contagious. And so, here I come. Get out of the way. If that weren't bad enough, there was something else that you had to do, and that is you had to shout, unclean. And so, you've got the bell thing going on, right? Everybody knows you're coming. And now you have to shout, unclean. I'm unclean, so that everybody would know what was happening. So you got a little bit of this, and unclean. Will you shout that word with me? Unclean. One more time. Unclean. Yeah, how does that make you feel? Kind of unclean, right? And the shame of this was immeasurable. Just a, a terrible way to die, and those with this disease were truly untouchable. Like you just did not go there. And here comes Jesus and he's teaching and an individual comes up to him. And I don't know if you noticed this in the paragraph, but it's what Jesus did. That was just so incredible. Scripture tells us that Jesus reached out and touched him. Like you don't touch lepers or you become one. And everybody knew that. You just didn't go there. But yet, here we find Jesus actually touching the untouchable. You know that some of his followers were watching this, and they just began to shake their heads saying, Jesus did not just touch the leper, did he? I'm not going to sit next to him at dinner tonight because I don't want that disease. It was that bad. It was that awful. You did not touch lepers. But in the middle of this great crowd, Picture this for a moment. Jesus is teaching and he's answering questions and he's just doing incredible things and all of a sudden you get a little bit of this. Unclean. And everybody knows what's happening. Everybody knows who is coming. And so the crowd begins to part and the leper comes right up to Jesus and the leper had to be thinking, Jesus can just say the word be healed. And that will be good enough because Jesus has that kind of authority and power. He can just say it and I will be healed and feeling will return to my fingers and my toes and I will be able to return to my family and I will have life again. I won't have to die of this dreaded disease. But Jesus does so much more than just say the word. He actually touches the individual and he did for others what no one else would do. Isn't this what we love about Jesus? It really is. That he touches the untouchable and he loves the unlovable and he reaches out to those who are excluded and discarded and pushed to the edges of culture. Jesus is there and he is publicly dignifying this man who everyone else chose to ignore. It's amazing. That's story number one. Story number two is found in Mark chapter two. And again, I want you to see if you can pick up on a theme here about the activity of Jesus. So here's verse 13. Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me, be my disciple. Jesus said to him, 
So Levi, who would eventually become Matthew and wrote the gospel that we just read from, got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. That is a remarkable statement right there. Because often we think that the crowd that followed Jesus all had these little angel halos over their head, and they were perfect individuals. But what we discover here is that as they looked at the crowd that was following Jesus, the rabbi, there were a lot of questionable characters there. Verse 16, when the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? (laughs) It's a great question, isn't it? And Jesus heard this and he's like, all right, I can't let this one go. I'm going to insert myself into this scenario and into the conversation. And Jesus told them, here's the deal. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. This is a fantastic story and a wonderful interaction where Jesus is looking at people and saying, you know what, I'm here for that crowd. Like, you may not be, but I'm going to hang out with them, and I'm going to ask them to follow me, the scum of the earth, disreputable sinners. One more story. We find it in John chapter 8, verse 1. Again, think about the activity of Jesus. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered. And he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. I want you to try to picture this for a second because they bring this individual to Jesus and she has been caught in the act of adultery and the law said, hey, this is what has to happen to her. What do you think, Jesus? And they're kind of waiting for the response. And Jesus does something a little bizarre to me. He stoops down and begins to write in the dust. But that's a little strange, don't you think? Verse 7, they kept demanding an answer, like, come on, Jesus, stop writing in the ground, stop playing in the dirt, we really need an answer to this. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he did another bizarre thing. He stooped down and began to write in the dust one more time. And here's what happened. When the accusers heard this, They slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And then Jesus, the Messiah, God, creator, stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. 
here's the takeaway for you. Go and sin no more. I'm not going to condemn you either. They're all gone. I'm not going to do that, but here's what you need to do. Go and leave your life of sin. Three fantastic stories that show us the activity of Jesus. And what's the thread? What is the common theme that runs through that? I want you to think about that because there is something that just dominates these stories. And the common idea, the common thread there is this. Jesus was not afraid to embrace people. He was not afraid to embrace the kind of people that everybody else would walk away from and say, we can't go there, we can't do that, we can't connect, we can't associate, that's just the wrong thing to do. We're not going to go there, but Jesus said, those are the kinds of individuals that I am going to embrace. And that's just how he lived his life. So our faith catalyst, number one, is this. Embrace people. Embrace people. This is what we see Jesus doing over and over and over again. And I believe that's what Jesus wants us to be doing as individuals. And even beyond that, as a faith community, I think Jesus wants us to be embracing all kinds of people. And here's what that means, all right? So let's try to personalize this a little bit. Because what does embracing people look like in our context? And I think here it is. It's saying we will welcome include and love people without expecting anything in return. And we will deliberately create environments where relationships can thrive. Maybe not even the kinds of relationships we want to have, but the kinds of relationships that God wants us to have with those who have been excluded and pushed away. We're going to welcome and love and accept people without expecting anything in return. And we're going to deliberately and intentionally create different kinds of environments where these relationships can thrive. We're going to embrace people. This is what God is calling Valley Point Church to. This is our faith catalyst. Guess what our big idea is? Yeah, embrace people. It's the same. So, tricked you, right? Not that you couldn't figure that out, but faith catalyst, number one, embrace people. And big idea for today is let's embrace people. Now, what I want to do is I want to move into our takeaways here and get a little more practical and specific. So we've walked through three different stories where we see Jesus interacting with people in a way that was just unique and strange and counterculture. And he was doing things that even the religious people were like, oh, I'm not so sure about that. Like, Jesus, don't go there. Stop that. But yet he pushed through and he embraced people and he's calling us as a faith community, to do the same kind of thing. So to help us implement that and to do more than just understand it, because probably a lot of us are okay with that. Yeah, we need to love people and we need to embrace people. We have to treat them the way Jesus would want us to. That all makes sense. But what does this practically look like? And I think this becomes a little more challenging. So three takeaways. Number one, run to the messes. Run to messy people. That's what we find Jesus doing over and over again. And the reason we need to do that is because there are people there who need Jesus. And they need us to love them and help them and encourage them. And God wants to use us to do that. So run to the messes. And if you're friends and the people all around you are perfect, then find messy people. All right? I'm serious. Find imperfect people 
and run to that. See, often we push away from that, like, because that takes time, and that takes effort, and it might even take money, and that might inconvenience me, and I might have to give up other things. And Jesus is like, yeah, I gave up my life to embrace people, and I would run to the messes, and this is the challenge and the encouragement for us. We have to get in that lane where we look for those who are imperfect, and we run there, and we help them because Jesus wants to use us to do that. So run to the messes. Find imperfect people, and God will use you right there. Secondly, love where you are. Love where you are, or we could say it this way, every day on mission. Love where you are, every day on mission. Now, I say this so much that I think it's kind of obnoxious, but I'm going to say it again because I think it's valuable, and that is God has intentionally placed you right where you are today for a specific reason. He has placed you in your family. He's placed you in that home. He's placed you in that neighborhood. He's placed you in that office, in that cubicle, in that work space, in that school for students. God has intentionally placed you right where you are for a very specific reason. And that reason is to help the people around you discover and find that there is a God who is willing to embrace them like what you are doing. And so, every day, be on mission. Love where you are. Who in your world? Right now, you can probably think of these people. I encourage you to do that. Who in your world right now needs you to be the hands and feet of Jesus? In your family, in your workplace, in your school, in your community. Who is that individual? God has placed you right where you are to reach those individuals. And I want to say this. See desperation right here. Okay? See it right here. Often it's easy to see desperation out there or some faraway place where there's a lot of poverty and people are living in shacks. That's easy. But see desperation right here. Just because people have nice teeth and nice cars doesn't mean that they're not desperate for Jesus. That's just true. And I could give you story after story after story of people with nice teeth and nice cars who are absolutely desperate for Jesus. It's just true. So see desperation right where you are. And maybe God's not going to let you go there until you develop and you work on what is right here in front of you. So love where you are every day on mission. See desperation right in front of you. Takeaway number three. Be ready to put something down so that you can embrace people. Just be ready to put something down. You know, sometimes we have to inconvenience ourselves and maybe our goals and even our families in order to embrace people the way Jesus wants us to. And I know that's not necessarily a popular thing to say, But maybe you have to put something down so that you can love the people around you intentionally that have been excluded in the kind of way that Jesus wants you to. So is there something you need to put down? Do you need to inconvenience yourself in some way so that you can actually go about the process of embracing people? Look, everybody's busy. Nobody has more time. 
right? So we got to give something up. We have to stop something. We have to put something down. We have to open up our hands and release stuff so that we can love people the way that Jesus wants us to. Others first. Others first. And when you walk through the pages of the Gospels, this is what you see Jesus doing, just embracing people in spectacular ways. And he's calling me and he's calling you. He's calling Valley Point Church to improve and to get better and to really run with this faith catalyst to allow it to change our activity as we go out and do the Jesus thing and embrace people the way that he would. I've got a video that I want you to watch of someone who has experienced that right here in this place. And I think you'll find this to be encouraging. And many of you can probably share the same kind of words about how you have been embraced in this place. Let's think about what God wants to say to us. Let's watch this together. I was looking for a place I could call home. I had been blessed to know God my whole life and grew up uh, religious, but I had times where I was confused and uh, I was looking for a place that I could get more direction and so I found a, a real niche and the beauty about Valley Point is there is something for everyone here to do and it, it's there are so many opportunities where you can find a place that you can add value and give back to the community and to the people within the church. I also wanted to just be accepted as I am, and I love that you can just come in as you are, dressed as you are, and casual. And I do have uh, a history of, you know, that a lot of pain, there's abuse and anxiety, depression, addictions. And in the past, I have been judged and here I was not judged at all and people just loved me and embraced me as I am. So immediately when I walked in the doors I was greeted with so much kindness and everyone was friendly and accepted me exactly as I was. We were immediately invited into a life group and that was just life-changing. The group of people that we were blessed to have they just welcomed us, and my husband and I were able to share our life with them and learn from their stories, and they were there for us uh, then. They're there for me today. Uh, they're just wonderful um, friendships. It really just changed from just having a once-a-week visit to church to having these long-term relationships with uh, great significance. I would tell someone who had never been here that this is not what they think church is, that their life will be changed forever for the better. Their families, they'll become a better parent, a better spouse, a better friend. They will not only develop relationships with people, but also have a really um, strong relationship with God. And most importantly, that they can come as they are and They'll be loved and fully embraced, and embracing people is a big deal. Well, thanks for listening. 
We'd also like to invite you to join us for any of our Sunday gatherings as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 and 11 a.m.